May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Before I have good news for you today, I have bad news. Sooner or later, we are all going to be the victims of someone else's ignorance or insensitivity or cruelty. Write it down. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Someone is going to say something unkind. Someone's going to do something that's unthoughtful. Or worse, someone's going to do something intentionally to harm you. And it's going to happen to me, too. And if it's you who does it, shame on you. You shouldn't do that. But I want to give you an example. Um, Ruben Sarpong um, from New Jersey, he set up these fake identities. He actually stole people's identities and then set up these fake accounts on a dating website where he managed to um, get about 35 or 40 women to um, enter into like an online relationship with him. Um, he posed himself as being a member of the United States military. And so um, these women would be in a conversation with him, and he would tell them that he was stationed in Syria. And after some time, he would tell them that these Syrian officials had given him these bars of gold. And what he needed to do was to ship these bars of gold home, but he needed money in order to get them, to, them back to him. And he promised that if they would loan him enough money to help him get those back, that he would pay him back when he got back to the States. And, of course, he would give them some extra money for their, uh, for their trouble. And it sounds utterly ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, just on the face of it, you are already thinking, who in the world would fall for that? Dozens of women. He managed to collect $820,000 from these women. Almost a million dollars. They had never met him, never seen him face to face. In fact, the identity they thought they were, were relating to was a completely different person. And if you don't think it can happen to you, think again. Last year, in the United States alone, there was a report to the federal government of $1.2 billion, billion with a B, dollars in fraud. And that's just the reported cases. Wire fraud alone accounted for $500 million. It happens every day. Someone gets an email that says, Congratulations, you won a trip to Disney. Or $1,000 in, in a Walmart gift card. Or, you know, a, a, a lease on a Corvette convertible for a year. All you need to do is fill out this little form Turn it in, and information on how to get your prize will be sent back to you. Listen, the form is a theft. It's an attempt to get information from you so that someone can steal your identity. There was never a trip to Disney. There was never $1,000 in groceries. There was never a midlife crisis mobile. Those things just didn't exist. It was an attempt to steal something. They knew that people... Wanted to get something. They, they liked the idea of winning a prize. And so that they would give any information they need to get it. Scammers love to target good people. And if they can't get them through, you know, our, our own sense of sort of, uh, you know, greed, maybe we call it. They'll get up to the other end. Altruism. You do not know how many people get scammed on charity events to find out that the charity never existed. Scammers love good people. They love honest people. They love naive people who want to trust. And so, yeah, it's going to happen. Sooner or later, we're going to get scammed. 
The scammers and con artists are at it. The grifters and the cheats, they realize that people, they, they want to trust. But even if you kind of can avoid them, let's just say, you know, we're streetwise enough to avoid some of that. There's going to be other people, just regular people, you know, the snarky school secretary or that um, gossip from the Zumba class. Um, There's going to be the guy who works on your car or the other person that you work with who goes to the boss and tattles that you're using too much cream in your coffee. You know, that person, that person's going to get you. There are people out there who will do that. They will do whatever it takes, talk about people behind their back, anything to climb one more rung on a ladder, whatever it means. So, yeah. Bad news for you today. Here's the, here's the hard truth. You're going to be a victim. You have been and you will be. Someone's going to hurt you sooner or later. Now for the other side of the coin, though. Sometimes we're not the victims. <laughs> sometimes, I know, perish the thought, we're the perpetrators. Sometimes we're the ones who are at fault. I know it's hard to believe. But if you were honest and we were sitting together having a cup of coffee and I asked you, you could tell me, yes, I've hurt somebody. I've hurt lots of somebodies. I've hurt people accidentally through indifference. I've hurt people intentionally through my words, through my deeds, through whatever I'm in. And I've thought mean things. I've thought cruel things we would say to one another because I too have been there. Have you ever noticed, though, how indignant we are <laughs> when we're the victim. I can't believe, do you know what happened? We will take a billboard out to let people know, you know, how we've been hurt. <laughs> but when it goes the other way, when we're the perpetrator, have you ever noticed how we're somehow so understanding of ourselves? Like, we can excuse it. I mean, after all, she sort of had it coming. After all, do you know what he said to me? I scoured the internet this week to find like the world's worst apologies. Do that sometimes. Oh, it is precious. It is so good. And some of them were, they always sort of follow the same pattern. You know, um, the person acknowledges the wrong. They, um, they give a quasi-apology, and then they excuse themselves for it. Um, one of the ones I found was the company Lululemon. Uh, they make um, yoga pants for women. And apparently a few years ago, they released some that um, when put on became transparent from the backside. I know. Um, I, and so anyway, the company uh, president issues a, a corporate apology. And the corporate apology went like this. We are sorry that some women have been embarrassed. It's really not the product. It's the women's bodies that they're putting on, you know. Yeah, you can imagine how that went over, right? So the president issues a second apology. If you have to go back and issue a second apology, the first one did not take, did it? Okay, and in the second apology, she still did not apologize for the manufacturing flaw. Instead, she apologized to the company's workers for having to suffer through this indignity. Not an apology, but another one, and this may be even the best. Um, There's this actor who was having this um, argument with his 11-year-old daughter. Apparently they were in different places and they were phoning back and forth and and maybe the daughter hung up on the the, the dad or whatever. He calls her back and, and this time she won't answer and she lets it go to voicemail. And he rages against her, lashes into this tirade 
against his 11-year-old daughter, who he calls a, a, a thoughtless pig. Okay, he called his 11-year-old daughter a thoughtless, and, and so his thoughtless pig daughter decided to um, post it to Instagram, and so that the whole world could hear it. It went everywhere. And the dad, the actor, the famous person who probably accepted an award and lectured somebody about something, got and said nothing for two weeks, said nothing. And then his publicist finally issued, and I'm going to read this to you, his name is Alec, although Alec acknowledges that he should have used different language in parenting his child, although everyone, know, everyone who knows him privately knows what he's been through for the past six years. It's not his fault. His daughter, his 11-year-old daughter is to blame. Oh, my word. And what could she have possibly been doing since she was five to make his life so difficult? Oh, we don't do well at apologies. And it's kind of fun to poke fun at these apologies. It was because you don't know my apologies and I don't know yours. And if we could pull them out, we might be like, oh, yes. It's hard to apologize. Because if we apologize for real, we have to take responsibility for our actions. We have to say, I was wrong. I did this. I'm accountable. That is a very difficult thing for us to do. And Jesus today doesn't let us off the hook. We've been kind of working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and up to this point he's spoken in generalities. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, the meek. Blessed are those who mourn, and so on. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lovely, great, wonderful generalities. Today he gets so specific it hurts. I mean, he digs down right into the places where we don't want him to talk about. He talks about three things that we really would rather he not. He talks about the way we deal with other people with our tempers. He talks about our sexual desires. And he talks about our relationship to the truth, to telling the truth. And all three of these, of these things, people would much rather him say away from. Let me read to you what he says again, the first, about, um, about, our, our, about our anger and hostility and temper. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said of those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you are liable to the judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, well, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. We love to justify our anger, don't we? To justify our rage. We have a right to be angry. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said? Do you know what, what happened to me? Do you know how I was victimized? I have a right to be angry. I should be angry. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't applaud, uh, applaud, excuse, don't applaud yourself for stopping at murder. <laughs> you know, when you're angry, you don't say, well, at least I didn't kill him. You know, I wanted to kill him, but at least I didn't kill him. No. He holds us guilty for even insulting someone, for saying something unkind, for holding on to hostility in our hearts. He says it's wicked. Oh, but you should have seen how I was treated. No. No excuse for a hostile temper. Own up to it. Take responsibility for it. Admit that it's yours. That's what he says. And that's a hard word to hear. Well, at least it's hard for me. Maybe it's not hard for you. 
In fact, he says, if you go and you go to worship, you show up at church, in his case, the temple, the, uh, the synagogue, and you go there to offer your gift, and there you remember that someone is angry at you. Go make it right with them. Go, go be at peace with that person. And especially the other way, if you go to, a, go to worship and remember that you're angry with somebody, go be at peace with them. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and talk to God. The second part he deals with is the issue of sexual desire. Now, before I get into this, you have to remember that in, in Jesus' world, in his social location, um, men had all the power. Women had very precious few rights at all. Um, and so keeping that in mind, he says, um, using language to men, but I think it equally applies to women in the 21st century, um, two issues, one, wanting what we see, and second, keeping the vows that we make. These are really important issues. So just like with anger, don't congratulate yourself on the fact that you haven't wound up in someone else's bed. That's not true fidelity. Fidelity goes much deeper than that. It's a matter of the heart. And, and I think that's what he said. He, he, the first one, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The issue here isn't just can um, you know, men notice the beauty of women. Of course they can. That's not what he's talking about and vice versa. The issue here, I think, isn't just that a man looks at a woman. The word gune for woman could be another man's wife. When you look at another man's wife with lust and you want her, then you've committed adultery with her in your heart. It's saying not that one can't notice the beauty of another person. It's about a lurid intent to possess. That is an entirely different issue. But we default to the victim mentality, don't we? But did you see what she was wearing? It's her fault, you know. This is the earliest part of Genesis. You know, when the first couple uh, commit sin, and what does the woman say? Is the serpent who gave it to me. And what does the man say? The woman that you gave me. You know, not my fault. You know, this is what we do. We blame someone else. We don't take responsibility. And then the issue with divorce. Again, only men could divorce their wives. And they could divorce their wives for virtually any reason. Burnt dinner would be a reason enough. A woman could not divorce her husband if he beat her, if he cheated on her, if he did anything cruel to her. She was, she was stuck. So when Jesus says, it directs his words towards men, it's for this reason. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I don't think he means that divorce can never happen. That's not the point. Of course it can. Of course people should not stay in a marriage where someone is physically violent or unfaithful or whatever. But what he's saying is that people can't be discarded and treated as, as, as objects. That people can't be just simply cast off because you find something else that one wants. In the ancient world, maybe this was only with men, but it could apply to, as I said, to women today. It, we, the, the people can't just discard a spouse in order to pursue another one. Um, there are consequences to actions. Every action has a consequence. Discarding a human being in pursuit of someone else 
has a consequence. Can it be forgiven? Of course it can. Of course it can. Can a person be fully restored? Of course they can. But you can't undo the consequences. It reminds me of the story of this priest, um, and this woman goes to her priest, and she's a notorious gossip. And she goes to her priest, and she has this moment of conviction, and she says to him, I want to confess my sin of gossip. I just, I just can't help myself. And I want to stop, and I want forgiveness. And he assures her of forgiveness, but says this penance, I need you to do one thing. I need you to take a feather pillow and go up to the top of the hill just outside of the town. And I want you to open it up, and I want you to scatter those feathers everywhere into the wind. And when you've done that, I want you to come back and see me. A week later, she returns to him. She says, I did what you told me to, and I want to thank you for your wisdom. It was so helpful. It was so cathartic. It made me feel so much better. He said, wonderful. Now I need you to do one more thing. I want you to go get all of those feathers and put them back in that pillowcase. And the woman was aghast. I could never do that. And he said to her, and you could never take back every word you've said either, can you? We can be forgiven. We can be restored. We can be uh, returned to God's good graces. But we cannot undo the consequences when we've done something. This is Jesus' point about marriage and about valuing one's spouse. Quickly, because I know it's time. The third one. Our relationship with the truth. You've heard it said of those ancient times, you should not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Let your yes be yes or your no, no. Any more than that comes from the evil one. Do you know why we say, I swear I didn't do that. (laughs) I promise I did not touch her. I did not touch him. I promise. You know why we add that little extra bit? We want to say, if ever you believe me, believe me now. (laughs) We know that everybody plays fast and loose with the truth at some time. We are not always truth tellers. Now is the moment. I I want you to know that now is the time that I'm telling you the truth. Jesus says, no, your yes should always be yes. Your no should always be no. You shouldn't play fast and loose with the truth. You should be truth dealers. You should be brokers in the truth. This should be your your norm, not the exception. And I thought about why is it that we play so fast and loose with the truth? Why is it that we're so, you know, ambiguous with telling the truth? And I think it's to protect ourselves. I think we believe that we can protect our reputations Protect our interest, our financial interest, our, part, our image, our viability. And so we play with the truth in order to protect ourselves. Jesus says that's evil, dealing with the truth. God wants only one type of truth, all the truth, all the time. Just be truth tellers, always, in and out. Now, these three areas may be, you know, really easy for you. Maybe you've accomplished them, never have a problem with temper, always um, are super great at protecting your marriage and your mind and your all the, always great at telling the truth. Fantastic. You're probably ahead of me. You know, because this is nuts and bolts, day in, day out kind of stuff. And Jesus goes right at it. And he says, you know, we can't just let ourselves off the hook. 
We have to take responsibility for our actions. Did you hear the, the, the lesson from Ecclesiasticus? Oh, first of all, let me just pause for just a second and say, Mason did a fantastic job, didn't he? I was so nervous reading the gospel, I could not, I was worried about keeping up with that. It was so great. But that lesson from Ecclesiasticus, you know, the, the, the lesson from Paul in the New Testament, I would like to speak to you as, as adults, but you're not your children. Grow up. We have to take responsibility for our actions. But there is good news here. There is hope here. That when we take responsibility for our actions, when we admit what we've done and who we are, there is help. God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and increases our ability to believe, increases our ability to do Increases our ability to want to do good. Does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But we've got to own up to it. We're not always victims. Sometimes we have a part to play. Sometimes we have blame to accept. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.